First Corinthians, the 15th chapter. I know we've read this before, and you have it memorized, but that's quite all right. Verse number one. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel, the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you have received and wherein you stand. So they knew the gospel. They're going to hear it again and again. Amen. And it's all right. Hear it again. Right. By which also ye are saved. If you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain, for I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received. How that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. Now, as I said in our last lesson, Perhaps there are a few things we should have addressed much, much earlier, but we did not for one reason or another. This didn't feel, felt lead, led of the Lord to do so. So we're, we're attacking these things here in the middle of our study. Uh, whether or not this is an appropriate time, it might be said that our first, the first half of our message today, or our lesson today, can be applied to just about everything we do as children of God. It is that uh, fundamental, it is that elemental, that important. And the second half of our lesson, which is a shorter half than the first half, if that's a possibility, um, is so important that it needs to be reiterated over and over and over and over again. Today, let's briefly consider the anchor and uh, a brief analysis of our soul winning. The soul winning's anchor has to be the Word of God. Everything we believe must either come from the Bible or be, be in agreement with the Bible. Not everything that we do and say and believe comes from the Bible. But everything that's true, everything that's right, has to be in agreement with the Word no. of God. Uh, if you believe that uh, the planet Earth is flat instead of round... You better have a number of powerful scriptures there if you intend to convince me of that. I have been at uh, 30,000 feet, 35,000 feet several times, many times, and looking out the window, which I really like to do when I'm in an airplane, I can see the curvature of the earth. Oh, yeah, yeah, man. I see that. <laughs> so if you want to say that the earth is flat, you're going to have to convince me that my eyes were lying to me right. and uh, other things were involved. Similarly, even though the relationship of baptism to salvation is intricate, you better have more scriptures than I have if you want to declare that baptism washes away sin. You have to have scripture. And if you want to say that the sovereign God will save whosoever he will without the declaration of the gospel, you will have to eliminate all those scriptures which declare otherwise. Right. We have to share the good news. Yes. And people need to uh, repent and trust Christ, which is declared in that good news. The anchor of our ministry is the word of God. Starting negatively, there are many 
successful religionists whose gospel begins with psychology. The error here is in the focal point of that attack. Uh, our problem is not up here. It's Amen. 18 inches down. Amen. It is the heart. And I realize the word heart may be used metaphorically here and there in the word of God. But it's not a mental thing. It is a spiritual thing. Yes. It is a problem of the heart. It is true that some serial killers, for example, were abused by their fathers and neglected by their mothers. But the solution to their psychoses is not to be found in psychological treatments of any kind. The mind is no more the place for sin's cure than cancer can be cured by positive thinking. It'll just go away if I say I don't have cancer. It just doesn't work that way. The mind is not the problem. Serial rapists attack people because they are sinners. Right. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And maybe their sin is different from mine, but he and I are alike in that right. we are sinners. Right. It's true of all of us. Their hearts are so warped by their sin, they don't recognize the horrendous uh, evil that they have committed. Despite the modern, modern paradigm, those people are not sick. They are spiritually depraved. And the solution to their problem is the new birth. It's not reconditioning of any sort. Uh, straightening out of the mind or social values or whatever. So in our approach to our neighbor, who's not a serial rapist and not a serial killer, when we approach our neighbor... Our purpose is not to get them to change their mind about Jesus. Right. To get them to think, oh, church is okay. That God is a nice guy. It's not our purpose to change their opinions about things. More and more of society's problems, that is, sins, are being addressed with more and more powerful medication. Drugs. Gone, of course, are the lobotomies that people practiced uh, 100 years ago, 150 years ago. And more recently, uh, there was the electroshock treatments of the brain. They, as far as I know, they don't do that much anymore. And there are things like uh, trephination. You know what a trephination is? You've never watched uh, uh, Master and Commander, The Other Side of the Sea? Uh, a trephination was a policy or a practice uh, 100 years ago, 200 years ago, to drill a hole in one's head, allowing the evil things to get out there. Now, if there's a, a blood clot or something like that, it, it might have its place. But simply to get evil to fall out of your head because you've got a hole in it doesn't solve anything. Never did. So they don't do that sort of thing anymore. But even while these things are now only footnotes in history, 
so are some of the drugs that were used 20 years ago. They're not used much anymore. And many of today's drugs will be history tomorrow. That's because mankind's heart problems cannot be cured with head doctors in wh with whatever tool they might try to apply. So we have this drug and it makes people, uh, what, comatose. <laughs> Socially comatose. It still doesn't fix anything because as soon as that man refuses to take his drugs anymore, he's back to his old wicked ways. Doesn't solve anything. No medication can touch the real root of man's problems. Counseling will not produce a real cure for man's sin. Psychology, excuse me, yeah, psychology and medicine must not be the basis of our evangelism. Nor should the soul winner be motivated and guided by philosophical principles. This could go in a number of different directions. Taken literally, the term philosophy means a love of wisdom. In a broad sense, philosophy is an attempt to understand the fundamental truths of the individual and his relationship to others, society, through the understanding of the mind. In other words, like psychology, it involves the head. But in this case, we're not talking about the mechanics. We're not talking about nerves. We're not talking about uh, the way hormones affect a person's head or thinking. Rather, it's just the, the thinking itself. Not the brain, but the mind. There have been human philosophies boring into the foundations of Christianity since the days of the apostles. Some of them are named in the word of God. Gnosticism. Uh, the Stoics. The Epicureans. These are philosophies. I don't need to explain them to you. They're just not a part of the gospel. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Yes, Who can know it? The primary problem with any kind of philosophy is that it's rooted in it's rooted in the heart, it's rooted in the mind, but does not deal with sin as it is needed. Socrates was a philosopher. Plato was a philosopher. Aristotle was a philosopher. They will never help anyone to understand the real problems in the world. And there have been thousands of various philosophers since those early Greeks. Some people say that Christianity is just one of many religious philosophies. That is simply untrue. Christianity is not a product of any sort of mental exercise. In fact, it is contrary to logic in many ways that God would supply a substitute that could stand in for me does not make sense logically. Christianity is not a philosophy. 
And again, our evangelism should not be an attempt to change the mind of someone else about Jehovah, about this sin or that sin, or how we might be delivered from our sins. That lost person needs a new heart. Yes, amen. Not a new perspective on eternity or society or himself. Other false evangelical foundations might include anthropology or uh, political science, uh, simple human needs. Anthropology is the study of human societies, human cultures. It does not take a PhD in anthropology to see that some societies are a disaster. Just look. We might look at the cities of the plain, Sodom and Gomorrah, and say, there was a mission field. Terrible places, terrible cities. Indeed, there's no doubt about it. But the need was not in the nature of that society per se. It was in the effects of sin within that society. The society didn't need to change before the individuals within that society could be changed or should be changed. Sodom needed a savior because the people there were sinners. It needed the gospel because it was filled with sinners. Just as Post Falls needs the gospel. Our society in this country is becoming more and more a disaster. And it seems that many professing Christians want to evangelize our society politically yeah. or socially. Right. Let us legislate against marijuana. Let's remove this government, get a new government in there, and everything will be fixed. Nothing will be fixed. Right, that's right. The problem is here, yes. not in Boise yes. or Washington, D.C. Our greatest need is not a new federal government. It is a new citizenry yep. with oh, new yeah. hearts. Yeah. Our evangelism has to come this way. The foundation of our evangelism must be biblical, not political. Some of you know the story about Nate Saint. Oh. Refresh your memory. I will refresh your memory. Nate Saint and four other missionaries were attempting to evangelize the Huranori people of Ecuador. They were flying their little plane into this area, dropping tracks, preparing the, the, the natives to receive them. And they finally landed there, and uh, all five of these people were murdered through Gates of Splendor, I think was the book that came out of that. Elliot? Yep. Elliot. Mm -hmm. uh, if we could interview... Uh, Brother Saint today, he would say, I'm sure, that he was concerned for the souls of the people of that tribe. 
But I wonder how many people, after hearing of those tragic deaths, it was in the Life magazine, and it was all over the place at the time, back in the 60s, I forget when it was. I wonder how many people, hearing those stories, got very concerned about that uh, tribe of, of natives, but they were more concerned with the fact that there are still people in this world who are primitive. There are still people in this world who are backward. And rather than picturing them as eternal souls, they pictured them as a social unit that needed to be improved, corrected. How many Protestants over the years have been moved to become missionaries because there was a need for education in this part of the world, medication in this part of the world, uh, learning how to better utilize the soil, digging wells for these people, missionaries digging wells. Is that our primary purpose? When we were looking at the subject of missions, I mentioned that I often heard as a young man stories about the great need of various people throughout the world. And they were presented in such a way that uh, I was to become burdened about going to the Philippines or Indonesia or, or whatever. But social needs, even spiritual needs, should not be the foundation of our evangelical theology. We need something more substantial than that. The foundation of our Christian lives and our service must be the Word of God. Yes. Both the written Word and the living Word. In Paul's encouragement of Timothy, he said, Continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. And that from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto good works. The scripture is the foundation of our good works, our evangelism. What is it that furnishes God's servant with the tools that he needs? It is his learning of the scriptures. David said, Oh, how I love thy law. Lord, it is my meditation all the day. Thou hast made thy, th th excuse me, thou through thy commandments hast made me wiser than mine enemies. They're ever before me. I have more understanding than all my teachers. For thy precepts are my meditation. I understand more than the ancients because I keep thy precepts. This is Psalm 119. That missionary who spends his life in a disease-filled land trying to win souls for Christ may show more wisdom and knowledge of the Word of God than the PhDs who are still uh, at home doing nothing. Our motivation for personal soul winning must come from God. Not from our whims, right. but our, uh, not from our burdens. The missionary who goes to Central Africa because he's moved by pictures of deformed children and stories of the slaughter of the parents of those children will likely come home a failure. Sob stories 
must not be the foundation of our service. Whether it's way over there, or way over there, or right here. We who never go to Africa, but are moved by lesser reasons to try to evangelize our neighbors, are going to be disappointed. We need something more than that. I don't know if Jeremiah is a perfect example for us because he was motivated in his soul winning by several factors. But in chapter 15 he said, O Lord, thou knowest, remember me, visit me. He wanted to be useful in the Lord's service and he wanted to be a help to the people of Israel. So he said, thy words were found and I did eat them. And thy word was unto me the joy and rejoicing of mine heart. For I am called by thy name, O Lord, God of hosts. I sat not in the assembly of the mockers, but rejoiced. I sat alone because of thy hand, for thou hast filled me with indignation. Why is my pain perpetual, my wounds incurable, which refuseth to be healed? The, word, the reason why his wounds were incurable, the reason why he was so burdened, was he found the word of God and he devoured it. It was all in the Word of God. What happens when we devour the Word of God, making it the foundation of our lives and service? Colossians 3.16 says that if we let the Word of Christ dwell in us richly, we will become teachers of that Word. The more we know of it, the more we will want to share it. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Colossians 3, 18, excuse me, 16. The entrance of God's words giveth light and giveth understanding unto the simple. We have, uh, we have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto the lost would do well that they take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in their hearts. The Word of God must be the foundation of our motivation. It must be the anchor which attaches us to our Christian responsibilities. And it must be the primary tool of our evangelism. Is not my word like as a fire, saith the Lord? And like a hammer that breaketh the rock in pieces, our opinion of psychology or philosophy is not going to overcome that other person's philosophy or his approach to psychology. What we need is something more powerful than that. The Word of God, which is quick and powerful. The, word, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation, unto everyone that believeth, unto the Jew first and also to the Greek. The Word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The foundation or the foundational anchor of our soul winning must be God's Word. There's nothing else, nothing in us, nothing in uh, the intellectual world. And then in the final analysis, it must include several important elements. I plan, Lord willing, to give you a sheet with lots of scriptures to use in your evangelism. But this morning I'll just give you a few brief highlights. 
Here are some of the essential elements in our evangelism. The person to whom you are witnessing needs to know that he is a sinner. Yes. He's not a relatively bad person. He's a sinner. He's not simply someone who's made some bad choices. He's a sinner. He's a sinner in the sight of God. He was born a sinner. And if that man wants to argue about his personal sinfulness, perhaps we should carefully tell him that it's not a personal matter. It is, but it's universal. We're all sinners. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 3. We're all, all we like sheep have gone astray. Isaiah 53. We're all as an unclean thing and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags, and we do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. Isaiah 64. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. 1 John 1.18 It might be necessary to emphasize the absolute holiness of God in order to magnify that we are sinners. The Lord demands holiness. Who is like unto thee, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like thee, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? There's none like this God. Who shall not fear thee, O Lord, and glorify thy name? For thou only art holy. For all nations shall come and worship before thee. For thy judgments are made manifest. Revelation 15. The holy God has declared, for I am the Lord. I am your God. Ye shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. That statement from Leviticus is reiterated, uh, repeated several times in the New Testament. Paul said, follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see God. Without our personal holiness... We will not see God. Problem is, we're not holy. We're sinners. Because God is holy and the man to whom you are witnessing is a sinner, there will be judgment. As it is appointed unto man once to die, after this, the judgment. Hebrews 9. The heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word, are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. Second Peter chapter 3. Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these things, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousand of his saints to execute judgment upon everyone, all, and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have committed, ungodly committed, and of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against the Lord. Book of Jude, 14 and 15. God shall judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time for every purpose and every work. Ecclesiastes chapter 3. God is holy. We are sinners. Judgment is guaranteed. But the Lord himself has taken steps to remedy that problem. Mm -hmm. When the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, 
made of a woman, made under the law for the purpose that we might be, that we might receive the adoption of sons. That we might be adopted into the family of God. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law. Having been made a curse on our behalf. Galatians 3. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. He died on the cross that we might be brought to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. Christ, because he is the Son of God, did not commit sin. Ever. And yet he went to the cross as God's sacrifice for sins. Not for himself. Brothers, now the Lord requires the sinner to absolutely and completely humble himself, emptying himself of all that he might claim is good and righteous, which in effect is nothing, but we have to admit that. Jesus said, except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish, and he wasn't speaking just of physical death. Repent ye therefore and be converted. That your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. Acts chapter 3 and chapter 17. The time of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth everyone everywhere, commandeth all men everywhere to repent. But not only must we be remorseful for our sin, repentant before God, We must also put our trust, our faith, in what Christ did on the cross to purchase our redemption. Abraham believed God, and that was counted unto him for righteousness. Being justified by faith, by faith, we have peace with God. The judgment's removed. Being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 5. Jesus said unto Lazarus' sister, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were a dead, wretched sinner, he shall live. And as John was concluding his gospel, he said, These are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life, eternal life, through his name. These sorts of things may take time for your your neighbor to receive and digest. These things may require a great deal of prayer over a long period of time. But people need to know that they are sinners while God is absolutely holy. They need to know that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died as the perfect sacrifice for sin. And that may be for you if you just repent and trust what Christ did. He did it for me. He died for me. If we put our faith in the finished work of Christ on the cross, the Lord has promised to deliver us. These are the essentials. In the analysis, these are the essentials of the gospel. 
we'll perhaps deal with some of the questions others have as we proceed. In the meantime, I'll let you take a break.